amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Fuck that noise. We're not quitting. You're listening to the F That Noise podcast featuring Pete Milia. But we're talking about shit here. Jamie Klein. No one wants to smell your dirty fucking shit. Mike Burdick. I feel like I'm in group. Steve Taylor. Is he getting his balls slapped by some other dude? And Keith Greve. You get a fucking sausage. Episode 61 of F That Noise, and oh, do we have a treat for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, besides between, besides our five handsome asses that you normally see, uh, we have a very special guest, Mr. Michael Corey from Props to History of TikTok, YouTube, and Internet Fame. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, you are officially the second guest we've had on this show. The first guest won't return our calls anymore, so I don't know what that means. Um, but dead. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm looking forward to it then. <laughs> Died in the death pool. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, find that episode, by the way, folks. The 2021 Meth That Noise Celebrity Death Pool. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we got a, a, a great show planned here. Uh, Going to get into the interview in a second. But if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that we start every episode with the drive of the week. If you don't know what a drive is, a drive is a line from a TV show or a movie said with exceptional velocity or volume. And this segment belongs to Jamie Klein. All right, uh, ladies and goddamn sexual tyrannosauruses. What we have here is from the 2000 classic film, the uh, winner of Best Picture that year. I don't know if that should have been Best Picture, but whatever. It was still. Yes, it should have. <laughs> Yes, I love I this movie. I don't know what else is up that year in 2000. I don't know what the movie is. Perfect. So, anyway. You don't know what um, the movie is? <laughs> it didn't even sound like Mike there. Yeah, it really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got to say anyway. the title of the movie. No. Um, so, the, the <laughs> name of the movie is Gladiator. This is, this is not the um, the one with uh, Robert Loja, not with Brian Dennehy. Not that Gladiator, but this is the one... That everyone knows about. It is the Joaquin Phoenix classic drive with Russell Crowe and uh, Oliver Reed and a bunch of other sh- shitty good actors there. Um, anyway, shitty good actors. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, no, I was thinking uh, not Cuba Gooding Jr. That was me. <laughs> that was the other Gladiator. Anyway, um, oh, these these are the great actors. I shouldn't say shitty. They're great actors. I couldn't think of the word, so I just threw in shitty. But um. I just, you know what, here, let's just do the drive of the week and, and get this over with. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, talk more, Jimmy. No. Oh, 
kind of a big lead up here. Came out of nowhere. It's been a that while since fight. I've seen that. You forget how powerful that drive was. That, that is the equivalent to a facial right there of drives. That is yes. right in her face. That is a massive drive. I think what makes it is the music before because you don't have a lot of talk. It's just like he's like letting the music take form, and then the climax is the drive. It's it's very it's very good. Well, I mean, like, well, that, that line was completely ad libbed by him too. Oh, wow. was it really? I yeah, that's, that. he was supposed to say the line in a fairly calm voice, but the when he, when he screamed it at her was completely ad lib, and her reaction was real. Oh, oh that's awesome! That makes that's it even better. That's it interesting because I've heard that uh, Joaquin Phoenix isn't the most stable of fellows. <laughs> no, no, he does what's, what's referred to as method acting, and uh, he's going to stay in character for a while. See, this is what happens when we have actual knowledgeable people on this show. Yeah, like actual information gets actual information gets disseminated instead of the usual. Yeah. And now, Jamie, it was going up against Shock a Lot, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic. So I think Gladiator was. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Traffic's pretty damn good too, but I'll probably give it to Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. but Traffic like was, Traffic. Traffic was filmed in Cincinnati, so it doesn't count. Mike's Mike's wife um, Mike's wife is from Cincinnati, so I'm not quite sure why why I, you would I do, air I, your I grievances do have a, on the a internet. Funny story on that. Keith likes his midnight chili. Yeah. On on the Academy Awards of that year, I still remember it was the one one of the very few times I ever smoked pot, and it made me vomit into this guy's sink. And I was at this party, and everyone was dressed up real nice. We had to, you know, dress up. We're in our twenties, so we thought, "Oh, let's do an Oscar party." And I remember in a room, people are <laughs> so doing hot. Yeah, everyone was all dressed up in a suit, tie, and everything. No, I made it. Oh, let's have an Oscar party. Yeah, they, they were like that. You know, very <laughs> Is that usually I how Oscar vomiting all in there? And it was during Bob Dylan singing the song from Wonder Boys. Wait, you, you oh, oh Sue. <laughs> well, I puked. I puked. Hard of a pot? Well, I was also drinking too. Oh, oh see, that, so you have a—it's more like a tradition with you, so, you know, going to Oscar parties and throwing up, isn't it? Because that one that I had to take you back—that I went to—you got sick too. Very close. No, I didn't. I didn't puke. Very close. Well, then there was the year that Pulp Fiction lost to uh, Forrest Gump, which was sick for another. No, we don't talk about no, that. No, no, okay. it wasn't that one. Wasn't right. That one. Was that the cigar night? I think it was no. It was the one Haley Berry won. Oh, Monster, 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 yeah. Monsters, Monsters Ball. Monsters yeah, Ball. I think, I think that was the one. I don't know. I just remember being really sick. It's, all, right. from, it's all from drinking and drinking and drugs. <laughs> I got to say, one of, the best, one of the best things about doing pot is that you don't get sick as much. So. Hmm. Yeah. No, no, not for me. That was, And I can drink like a chimney. That was the somebody's been hitting the pot already, have they not too? <laughs> that was the drive of the week brought to you by Trashman Media for all of the latest Blu-ray, DVD, and reviews. Head over to trashmanmedia.com and also on Facebook and Twitter. You get to check out www.bizarrebiz.com for your latest news and no bullshit. All right. So now we turn our attention to our very special guest who has very patiently been sitting there watching us. 
uh, drivel on about Oscar parties and whatnot. Uh, but uh, so I am. I came upon your TikTok stream, and uh, I got on TikTok because primarily to monitor my 14 year old daughter's activity and then i started getting into it and i started watching all these grown-ups that were going on tiktok and you seem to have a pretty strong following so my my first question for you is what got you into tiktok like what led you to tiktok well i had been on on youtube and in instagram for some time just basically posting the, the prop work that i had done actually a friend of mine at work um because i have a regular job outside of this said, you need to get on TikTok and post everything on there. And my first thought was, for teenagers, why would I get on that app? I've heard that before. And, and I, I started watching some things on TikTok after I finally downloaded it and just did a video on the Book of the Dead from The Mummy. And it took off. It exploded after that. And um, it, it really kind of hasn't stopped because I've only, I've only been on TikTok for just a little under two months now. And I'm at 170-some thousand followers at this stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's um, it it was it was kind of weird. I never thought I'd get on TikTok, but then I did, and it's, it turned out it worked. So it's, that's what drove me to it. It's incredibly organic, the, the, how people just get attracted. And when you've got quality content like you, like there's a lot of bullshit on that app too. But like yeah. you, you're actually like got a legit cause and message and information and stuff like that. And it's a real interesting, real interesting watch. And there's actually quite a few, uh, and I've, I've gotten to know most of them now. There's actually quite a few prop makers and, and legit prop masters that work in Hollywood that are on there as well. And we've all like kind of formed our own little group of people that, that do that sort of stuff. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's allowed me to meet people in the industry that I otherwise would not have met. Mm-hmm. And it was actually what took me out to Los Angeles last week. So it's, uh, it, it's worked out in my favor quite a bit. Yeah, I, I saw that you were headed out to California, and you were quite cri- quite cryptic in your uh, messaging around it. And is anything we can talk about on uh, the old podcast? Some, some things we can talk about. Some things are covered by NDA, uh, so I can't talk about them. Um, my primary reason to go out there was actually to meet uh, another prop master who I'd met through TikTok. His name's John Harrington. Uh, he's the prop master for the show Good Girls right now. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. But he worked on shows like From the Earth to the Moon, um... Uh, first man, etc., uh, and he introduced me to a lot of people that he knew in the prop industry, and that opened. I mean, just being able to network with people like that that were professionals in the prop industry in Hollywood uh, was fantastic. And and John, John is I would consider him a good friend now. He's he took me around and introduced me to a, a thousand people, and it was a, a lot of fun. The pretty much the rest of it I can't talk about, but I can <laughs> talk about that. Awesome, awesome. So you are a prop maker uh, yourself. Um, it's not yes. just a hobby. You're you're in you're in it. Um, I am. What's the um, what's the most complex project you've ever worked on? The most complex project I ever worked on was actually for a student film uh, when I lived in Ohio, and it was it was uh, I helped a student, a film student, uh, build a ship model in the same methods they used in the '70s for Star Wars, and then blow it up and film it 
in the same way that was done with pyrotechnics in the 70s, because he was studying how those old, how those, old, those old filmmaking techniques, and it was a matter of creating a model and then creating the pyrotechnics and then filming it correctly to get the same effect. And um, that was that was actually my first uh, my first uh, experience with pyrotechnics, as a matter of fact. Oh, cool. Um, I, you, in the information sheet that you you sent back, that you kind so kindly filled out and sent back. You said that you mm-hmm. you made an ADAC costume for a. 2000 pound Clydesdale. What led you down that road? Uh, alcohol. <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, which brings us to our next sponsor. No. <laughs> my, two, two of my best friends in the whole world, Brandon and Bree, they own um, a farm where they, they raise Clydesdales. And uh, Bree has shown Clydesdales for her most of her whole life. And she had a horse named Mona that was going to do her last show. Uh, at the World Clydesdale Show, and it was around Halloween, so they had a costume class. And uh, she asked me, I think it was probably over alcohol, can you make an ATAT costume for my horse? And I said, sure, how hard can it be? A year later, it was done, and then um, and then we we I posted it on the internet, and it went everywhere. It was uh, it was in the New York Post. It was um, apparently a billboard in Japan. Uh, it's also still sold on T-shirts uh, in certain parts of the country. <laughs> And it, I think, according to Facebook, at least the analytics for that, it's been seen by uh, 300 million people now. Oh my God! And, yeah. and I never Jeez. watermark photographs, so it gets used all the time by other people, and I can't do a thing about it. Ah. Uh, oh, jeez! I never, I never expected it to go anywhere. You know, that was yeah. uh, that, that was my first brush with being semi-internet famous, and um, it was it was a fun experience to build that. I will never build a costume for an animal again. Um, just simply because of uh, the death threats I received from it were enough to turn me off from ever doing that again. Really? So, were they like from PETA or animal uh, rights activists? It was pretty much that sort of folk that had decided that I was hurting the animal in some way, which if you know anything about the horse's body language, you would know that that horse was completely fine with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But there's always someone on the internet. It was consensual. Yeah, as much as can be uh, with an animal. Yeah. But, um, they there's always someone on the internet that wants to be mad about something. And that's where that came from. Yeah. Now I had, I had a question on, I, in preparing for the episode, I watched a bunch of the TikTok videos, but then I, I got kind of hooked on your YouTube videos. Now I know YouTube, those videos are longer. They take a lot of time, uh, a lot of uh, finances. I saw you were mentioning the Patreon uh, page for those of you who go to his Patreon page and become a pay, become a patron. Um, but I have really gotten hooked, especially uh, just yesterday. I watched the Tom Servo Crow one you did for Mystery Science Theater 3000. Loved yeah. it because I had no idea. Like, I love that show, and I never knew the actual breakdown. Uh, so I, I know it's been a few months since you did your last YouTube video. Are you looking to do more of those? Or are you mainly doing just TikTok now? Um, I, I mainly do TikTok at the moment, but I'm about to free up a whole lot of time. The issue with YouTube has always been time. Um, it yeah. takes a while to make those videos and to, to uh, edit them and get them online. But hopefully by the end of this week, I'll have another video up and then I'll be making, uh, I'll be back to my one video a week schedule uh, here shortly. Okay. Um, just simply because I'll have the time again, because my, mm-hmm. my regular job takes up about 12 hours of my day and I'm about to leave that job. So Oh. Um, I'll uh, I'll be able to do this more or less full time. Oh, so wow. nice! Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, right. 
So now I, I you're uh, I saw the latest stream of TikToks. You were at the was it Peterson Car Museum? Yep, the Peterson Auto Museum in Los Angeles. Um, it is the building itself is a work of art, uh, just out of the gate. And they have this absolutely magnificent collect. I haven't even posted all the videos from it yet. Um, they have this magnificent collection of movie cars, and I went there to see it because one of them that's there. Uh, is the Hero A car, which is the principal filming car of the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Oh, and, wow. Very uh, nice. I was able to get almost inside the car because they have one door open. But, of course, I'm not going to risk that. I'm not going to risk damaging the car or hurting my reputation with Peterson. Um, so I filmed just from the outside. But they have the door open. You can see all inside. It's, it's, it is it's, uh, it is the absolutely perfect primary uh, filming car for them from all three movies, actually. And oh, wow. It's gorgeous up close, as, as, as you would imagine. Wow. But your favorite when seems you to say, be the, the 1989 Burton Batman Batmobile, right? Yeah, That's- yeah, absolutely. I, I, I never hide that at all. I My favorite movie car of all time is the 89 Batmobile. <laughs> and they have a replica because the two originals uh, from – 1992 Batman Returns and then 1989's Batman are owned by Warner Brothers, and they're in their archives. But there were a bunch of them made for the film, so there's some stunt cars out there, and then there's some uh, publicity cars that are out in private hands. Uh, Jeff Dunham owns one of those, and um, now TikTok is trying to get Jeff Dunham to let me see his car collection. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, so you know, you're also a collector, I understand, right? Yep, What's- I am a collector. Uh, I started collecting props about probably two years ago, but I make most everything that I collect. So if I if I want a prop, generally it's it's cheaper for me to make them because I have the skill sets to do it. Mm-hmm. And then it's it also helps me as a prop maker because I get to explore the methods used by prop makers in the past. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes not only a fun thing for me to do, but also a thought exercise and improves my skills as a prop maker. So I... Um, I do buy stuff and I trade for stuff all the time, but most of everything in my collection is made by me. Wow. Yeah, I like how the scarabs turned out you did from the mummy. They turned out really well. Well, those, uh, that actually came about because of my I, – I have a podcast, the Prop History Podcast, and my co-host on that, Greg Nowling, owned one of the um, – cop. he owned one from the movie, I believe is the story. Mm-hmm. Behind. And then I made a mold of it and started casting them. And um, I just started playing around with paint until I found the right uh, the right mix for them, and uh, and then now I just sell them on Etsy every now and again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, before I got taste in movies, I used to love those old mummy movies. So I it brought back a little nostalgia when I was looking at those scarabs. I love that movie. Um, one of the the props that I'm actually most proud of that I own is actually a casting of one of it's actually an, a casting from the original molds from the movie of the book of the dead, which is the first uh, video I ever did on TikTok. Mm. And um, the, a, a fellow on what's called the replica prop forum was offering kits. And I think he only ever made eight of them. And oh, wow. uh, I ended up being in the right place at the right time. Got my hands on one of them. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So was, was there ever like uh, a prop that as a collector you went on, you were like, you were uh, obsessed about it. It became your life. You were on a quest to find it. The very first prop I ever built, actually. Um, the Four Stones from The Fifth Element. Um, I I love that movie, and I love everything about it. And I'd been a model maker ever since I was a kid, and I'd never really gotten into movie props. And when I watched that movie, I, I realized I wanted them badly. 
But Luke Besson, the director of the film, had most of the prop from the movie destroyed. And there's only one known set of those stones in existence, and he owns them. So getting them is impossible. And I started, it was at that same time that I started uh, researching 3D printing technology and bought my first 3D printer. And that was really the first prop I ever made were the, a set of the stones. Mm -hmm. And I spent months trying to duplicate the paint uh, work that was on it, the finish on them. And uh, I think I've probably made five sets of those now at this point, trying to get them just right. And uh, I'm never satisfied with them because they never look perfect to me. So I'll, I'll probably be making those for the rest of my life. It's the curse. Yeah. It's kind of a dick move. Is, is that normal for directors to destroy props to kind of keep their own little stuff just for themselves? It can be. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was actually infamous for it. Um, he did not want all the work that he put into his vision of a movie mm -hmm. being used. And I believe he was quoted at some point, and this is a paraphrase, I believe, of seeing his work in a B-movie. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. He didn't want to put all that money into it to have somebody benefit from it. And this goes back a long way. Cecil B. DeMille uh, was famous for it. Um, he made this, I, I cannot remember the, uh, uh, King of Kings, I believe is the name of the movie. But he made this massive, massive city of pharaohs uh, out in... Um, I believe it's the dunes in California. And it was under the agreement that he would remove everything, but he didn't, they made it concrete. So it was all permanent essentially. And it was this massive city. And when the filming was done, he didn't want someone coming along and using all the money he'd spent to make another epic that could do better than his movie. So he had it all dynamited in place. Um, oh, wow. Most of it's still there. It gets dug up every now and again. Some pieces are in museums now, but. It, it happens a lot. Um, whole whole uh, movies and movie sets are destroyed to prevent them being used in other projects. It happens a lot. And you got a yeah. piece, you got a piece of the actual crate dragon from Star Wars. Yeah, actually, a company called MiniMuseum.com. They um, they contacted me. They own several pieces of it, and they said uh, if you if you rep our website, we'll give you a piece of the crate dragon. So I did. Oh my god, it's <laughs> a no brainer. <laughs> It was easy. It was an easy decision to make. Uh, I wanted a piece of the Great Dragon, and uh, they had them, so it worked out. Awesome. All right, Pete, were you going to say something before? I cut you off. I think. No, I don't think so. Uh -huh. I think no, Mike. I think Mike <laughs> yeah. was going to say something. No, I was just, I was just listening to what you were saying. And in uh, theater, there's a lot of the same problem. I, I come from more theater, and the the shows they do on Broadway, they when they're published, they do like a set layout. And people steal the sets for community productions and all kinds of productions. 
and you get these you get these producers on Broadway that get really pissed off because you're basically stealing their whole idea for a a lesser production in a production that's not going to be as look as good. So it's like yeah. I, I just I that's just made me think of that. That's all. No, and it's it it cross it's like you said it's the same thing in theater. It's the same in TV as well. Yeah, uh, stuff, stuff gets destroyed or or sometimes it's taken home. Uh, it was like the case with Roseanne. Uh, if you remember the TV show Roseanne, uh, the Afghan that went over the back of the couch was mm-hmm. for some reason the most desired thing on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they actually had to lock them up after filming was done so that the crew would steal them. And uh, they ended up actually sewing it to the couch. Uh, and that is now in a museum. I believe it's part of the Commissar collection in Phoenix. Um, they they then, didn't use it for the, to bring when they brought back the show or it was a completely new one. Um, okay. Those old props, they become worth an enormous amount of money and they won't reuse them because either they're owned by a private collector or a museum or they don't want to risk damage to it. Um, it, it they don't they tend not to reuse stuff after so much time has passed just because of the value of the thing. Mm. I remember after the show Mad Men ended, they 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 like auctioned off like pretty yep. much everything they had their hands on. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of productions have realized they can make back a lot of money by auctioning props now because the prop collecting community has become so big now. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you still have directors that and filmmakers and um, productions that destroy stuff, uh, which is it's rarer now, but it does occur. Now, uh, is it is the opposite true too, or is there examples that you know of of props that have been set aside specifically for future movies? I know we mentioned the DeLorean car. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rider car, but is there any shining example that, uh, that goes the other way where it's specifically used again? Well, if, if you have sequels planned, uh, they're going to keep the props over for sure. those repeating films. But um, it, it brings to mind uh, one of the most recognized and probably not the most reused, but one of the most reused set of props is uh, from Starship Troopers, the armor and helmets. From Starship Troopers have been seen in Firefly, they've been seen in Power Rangers, they've been seen in, I think, about 10 movies mm. that they've been used in, and that was because of how many they made. Um, oh, wow. They, they made about 2,000 helmets and about 2,000 sets of armor for that movie, and it was just piled up in prop warehouses. So they just constantly reused it for film until it got so worn out they couldn't use it again. And now most mm. of it's either destroyed or in collector's hands. But they, uh, that, that happens occasionally. Um, but as far as set down the road for many years later, no, they usually go and make new. Because things don't tend to age well. Props don't. Uh, they're not meant to last much past the production. So the production they're made for. So they tend to wear out quickly. And if you ever <coughs> chance to look at a screen-used prop, they look like hammered dog shit. Um, they get the hell beat out of them during production. So... A lot of times what you don't see on screen is all the tape on the other side of it holding it together. Mm. Just so that <laughs> oh, That's interesting. So now, you said yeah. you're the only maker in the world of portable trackers from 1979 Alien made from original yeah. parts. So where do you get the parts from? Um, a lot of times it's on eBay, but I have made um, – I got a series of molds from my co-host on the Prop History Podcast, Greg, and – they're castings of either original parts or of uh, parts that are made to look like the original because some of the parts on those trackers are still unknown. To this day, nobody knows what they are. Okay. And 
I find the original TVs that they were made from, because they were made from a portable television from the 70s, and build them up to be as screen accurate as possible. And I'm the only one that does it, because I think I'm the only one with a set of molds. And uh, I've never seen anyone else offer them for sale, uh, except for the guy I got the molds from. And at this stage, I think I've got 12 of them. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And I'm about done building them. Because I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Jamie, you're I don't right. like bringing stuff more than once if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jamie, you're uh, unusually quiet tonight. You got anything over there? Or... Um, just listening. <laughs> 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 Jamie's typically not the quiet one. Yeah. No, it's, I'm just fascinated by this. I'm just like in awe of listening to all this. Um, I do have a question for Mike, though. Um, not Mike Burdick, uh, the other Mike. Um, what, would you say that you concentrate more on props from genre films like sci-fi, horror, or do you go for any type of prop for any type of movie? Um, if, if something interests me, I will build it, um, and it has been from all genres. But for TikTok and YouTube, I tend to go with stuff that is more pop culture. Uh, attention. Um, nobody, nobody cares if I make a tea set from a fair lady. No one's going to really concern themselves with that. Um, but if I make something from the fifth element or from aliens, that's stuff that a lot of people know. And so I tend to gravitate towards that just basically to get people's attention so that they'll, it'd be something that most people are interested in. Um, if I, if I made a, a, a replicator from Star Trek prop, People would be interested in that, but if I made, you know, the oven that they used to bake pizzas in in uh, some random movie, no one's going to care. So I do tend to gravitate towards those genre films simply because that's what people are interested in. Do you have a spe specific favorite genre film at all? The Fifth Element. In the science fiction genre, that one uh, in horror, it would be the thing. From 1982. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually working on. I'll just say, say here. Um, the Spiderhead from the thing. Oh, nice. That's the. Head. Oh, nice. You've got to be yeah. fucking kidding. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I just started the paintwork on him. Um, I'm still waiting on the leg to show up. Um, and then I got to do all the rest of the, uh, the the paintwork on him and get him finished up and disgusting. And then um, build the motion sensor so that he screams at people when they get near. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so now, where do you, do you have, like, a large area of your house that you have all this stuff? Do you have, like, a big I have workshop? A, I have a large shed in the back that keeps uh, a lot of it sits in. I have mm -hmm. a one-car garage converted over into a shop. And then I have my office, which is completely filled with props. Nice. Oh, that is cool. That's the office I sit in right now. Nice. See, this is the time uh, when viewers should be watching our live stream. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Absolutely. So they can see this. It's a good advertisement for watching the live stream. Absolutely. It is. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm still waiting on stuff to show up from California because I had to ship a bunch of stuff back because I couldn't carry it in my luggage. It's uh, too fragile. Uh, um, but I did bring a bunch of stuff back from California that I got. I, I got introduced to the owner of a place called uh, Earl Hayes Press. Who's been around for over a hundred years, and they make a lot of products seen in movies, particularly paper-related products like magazines, newspapers, etc. And um, while I was there, I don't know if you've seen the video or not, but the uh, sports almanac 
from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up carrying he car- carries into Back to the Future too. They found all the original um, uh, negatives that they used to make it, and mm-hmm. they're going to be running uh, doing a run of them at some point. But that's his, that, that is actually made for production, so it's as close to screen used as you'll ever get. Besides making them, but they they find stuff in there all the time because they don't know what they. Um, the uh, blueprints for the flux capacitor from Doc's workshop in the first Back to the Future movie, they found them stuffed in a pipe. Stop. Uh, oh, oh. Yeah, they had no idea they were there. And then they, they were like, why don't why aren't we getting enough airflow? So they went to clean the pipes out and they found them rolled up in there. Come on. Um, <clears throat> yep, that's, that's what happened. But you have to understand, for them, it's just the stuff they work with. They yeah. don't don't put a whole lot of emphasis on it like a collector would like a fan would to them it's just work they knew how awesome it was and they have kept them and i I was able to uh interact with them and film with them and take pictures of but they find random stuff all the time now to you this isn't going to look like a whole lot from here just looks like a yellow sheet of paper but that says telegram up there and this is all in swiss german these were made for sound of music Oh, oh wow yeah and uh, they they allowed me to purchase some of them, and they're the last of them ever made for the Sound of Music. Oh wow! Um, so it's like stuff like that. They also made the uh, uh, the license plates for uh, um, several different movies, including Back to the Future. And so off the original pressing with the original dies and the original decals, they gave me one. <laughs> oh, nice! Wow. <laughs> So wow. that's as close, as close to screen used as possible. Yeah. That you can yeah. get one off the car, which the LAPD would probably beat me to death if I tried to do that at Peterson. So, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I wouldn't just get the door. But, oh, wow. uh, but yeah, it's, it, it was an, an amazing place filled with so much stuff that I didn't even know existed. And, and quite frankly, neither did they. Because mm-hmm. um, they just have randomly, they have whole warehouses still filled with stuff they don't even know is what's in there and it's it's insane how much film history is is like that it's all just sort of stacked up out in hollywood because it's a job out there right you know there are collectors there are people that do care about it the historians like myself and other collectors in hollywood that care about it but for the people that work on it it is just a job so they're they're not not saying they don't care because they do but they don't. I don't think they have the big awe like I do. I would yeah, and at the time it. they're making it, they're not necessarily. They don't know if it's going to become an iconic thing where the props are going to be yeah. worth money. That's that's what I was going to say. When they were doing Back to the Future, they had no idea it was going to become a thing. And mm-hmm. like when Star Wars was being made, Episode Four, um, all of the props from that were put in a warehouse, just a storage garage, like you would rent when you move house, and. This was in post-production. The movie hadn't come out. Nobody knew what it was going to become. And they decided to stop paying on the storage garage and <laughs> told, told the storage warehouse to throw it all away. And most of it went in the trash. Oh, but my God. The Death Star, the primary filming model for the Death Star, one of the guys that worked there decided to keep it. He took it to his mom's house, uh, his mom's antique shop in Branson, Missouri, and set it outside for 10, 15 years. And then it was bought and uh, put inside of a honky-tonk in Branson, Missouri, uh, where the current owner, who has restored it to original condition, found it being used as a trash can. Oh, my God. And, wow. And because of that, because it ended up as a trash can in a honky-tonk, it survived. Um, otherwise, it would have been tossed in the trash with the rest of it. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. That's but, crazy. 
there was no prop collecting community except for people within the prop making community. They were the only ones that really collected anything. So the stuff wasn't kept. Nothing was kept. I mean, the gates from King Kong were used in the burning of Atlantis scene in Gone with the Wind, and they burned them to the ground because nobody cared. It wasn't something that anyone concerned themselves with. All right. Man, but like in what Steve said before, the problem's compounded by just the lead time for making a movie. You have no idea whether it's going to hit or not and get them yeah. gone. So I would love the opportunity to go through one of those warehouses and just see what's there, you know, just, oh, man. Yeah. Well, I, I got the opportunity to do that this past week, to go through a couple of them, just to walk through and see what was in there. And, like, I, I found uh, the atomic bomb from Fat Man and Little Boy just stuffed in a corner. Oh, you know? my God. Just, That's a, the Paul Newman movie, yeah? Yeah, just sitting there like you do. And um, they're they're smaller than the originals. I've seen one of the original casings for them, and they're they're a lot smaller than the originals. And um, it's just, but they're just sitting there. <laughs> that's God. nuts. Yeah. I just, Have you seen that, that TV show that's on Disney Plus, and I'm blanking on the title? Prop Culture. Is Prop that? Culture. Yeah. 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 That's that's a. I I got a kick out of watching that. How, how do you like that guy? Have you ever met that guy? I have never met him. I know people that do know him. He's, he's an avid collector and historian. Um, his, his prop collection is insane. He actually used to own the original blaster from Blade Runner. Uh, Deckard's blaster from Blade Runner. And his collection is enormous. Um, I love that show. I wish they had spent more time looking at more props, but they weren't telling the whole story of the prop, too. So, that you know, take the good with the bad. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. So now, I, what was the, the the TikTok that I saw? The guy that owns most of, or a lot of the alien art, or the the biggest sci-fi collector, Bob Burns. Yeah, yeah. Bob Burns is he started out as an editor for I believe it was NBC, and in, in California he would put on these horror shows every Halloween, and he would ask around to different productions because he knew pretty much everybody in the industry. Can I borrow some prop for these Halloween shows? And everybody would say, Sure, Bob, take whatever you want. And they would just end up giving it to him. And after a while, they would donate it to him. Well, in 1979, when Alien came out, he contacted, I believe, Fox and said, hey, can I borrow some props from Alien for this horror show that I do that was well known throughout the industry? And they said, sure, you can have whatever you want. They sent him the 11-foot model of the Nostromo, the cat carrier, uh, two of the spacesuits, just an enormous amount of stuff. Xenomorphs, all the Alien. And um, they let him keep it. And that 11-foot filming model of the Nostromo sat out in his driveway for 20 years. My just, God. Just, my in, God. just under a boat because he didn't have room for it. And um, he's since, I don't think he does the horror shows anymore. I think other people do it. But his house is just this, it's a museum to pop culture. And I have, I've unfortunately, I've never met him. Uh, and his health isn't terribly good right now, so hopefully he he gets better, and maybe one day I'll I'll get an introduction to him. I really like to meet him. He's he's got stories like none other. So oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah, I'd really like to plonk a camera down in front of him and say, "Hey, Bob, tell me what you know." Yeah, just talk. And, <laughs> just talk. Yeah, just talk, Bob. Which apparently he likes to do. Oh, good. <laughs> well, one one last question, uh, and this is for for my friend Jamie over here. Uh, if you if you were if you were making a movie, practical effects or CGI? Practical effects. Ah, um, ah, <laughs> <insane>. <laughs> my, my reason for this is that I do not believe that CGI is where it needs to be yet. 
Mm -hmm. to take over from physical props. Now, there is a lot of absolutely beautiful CGI out there, but for me, the realism and the mistakes... Oh, dear. Something just happened. The mistakes that come with practical effects translate into more real life than CGI does. CGI is often almost too perfect. And, like, my, the biggest example I always give is The Thing from 2011. They made this absolutely gorgeous movie with a good story, and the special effects uh, company that did all the special effects for it, they did a beautiful job at it. They did all these wonderful practical effects. And then the corporate side came in and said, overlay everything with CGI. And it just did not work. And it ruined the look of the film. So I don't think CGI is where it needs to be yet to take over for practical. So I will always vote practical effects. All right. That's probably a longer answer than you wanted. But. Nope, nope. No, no, no. That's what we needed. That is the answer. Jamie will sleep easy tonight. Thank you very, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we're gonna let you get out of here. We're gonna end the show here. Is it, where can we, where can everybody find you? Um, on TikTok at Props to History. Uh, actually, almost any social media at Props to History, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash makes things. Also, check out the Prop History podcast uh, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Michael Corey, props to history. Find them, folks. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Good meeting you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Thank you. And that is it for us here on episode 61 of F That Noise. For Jamie Klein, Pete Melia, Steve Taylor, Mike Burdick, and tonight, Michael Corey, props to history. I'm Keith Grieve. We'll see you all next week. Keep up with all the insanity at fthatnoisepod.com, fthatnoisepod.com, fthatnoisepod.com. That's pretty much it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.